we are now commandment number seven. Last week, we looked at this commandment. You shall not murder. All right. This morning, we're looking at commandment seven, which is you shall not commit adultery. That's the extent of the command. That's it. Last week, we, we said this, that in Hebrew, it's actually only two words. It's, it's, it's low, don't, and then murder, commit murder. Um, this morning is also two words. This commandment is two Hebrew words, low, which is not or don't. And then the, the Hebrew word we'll get into here in a second is adultery, don't adultery. And we translate it, you shall not commit adultery. So we're gonna jump into this and we're gonna look at, at um, what it is and what does it include? Because and at, at face value, and, and this is gonna be, I think another heavy Sunday, another heavy topic. At face value, you hear don't commit adultery and either you go, okay, check, haven't done that, that's easy. Or like, oh shoot, okay, well, here we go. And for most of us, I, I imagine where you're, you're like, it's easy to write, just like last week. Well, last week, hey, don't commit murder. And, and I think most of us, probably all of us are going, done, okay. But next week, what, like, can we go home? Is Sunday done? Uh, I haven't murdered anyone, so therefore, I'm good. And, and what, like, the, what we realized, though, I, th- I think, I hope, is that last week, murder is really an umbrella term. And under that is all kinds of controversial issues that, that divide people, divide families, divide countries, divide voting blocks. Because under this is also not just homicide, which we all would be like, yeah, that's wrong, but also suicide and abortion and, uh, and uh, just wars and uh, self-defense. All of that is included. So, so what we talked about, what we realized was it wasn't just about murder. It was about all kinds of, like, all kinds of things under this kind of canopy of, of murder. Okay, this morning is this very similar thing. That when we say don't commit adultery, you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, check, easy. All right, now what, now what? No, 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 hold on. This, this term, what we're talking about, includes so many more things. So, so we're gonna spend this morning looking at what it is, what it includes, and then, and then specifically, all right, what do I do? How, how, like, how do I respond? What, what's, the, like, what's the takeaway? What, what could possibly be the application of not doing this thing? Great, I'm glad you asked. We're gonna get into it. Here's the deal with, um, with this topic. Okay, uh, first, this is very personal because this has affected many of us. Maybe, maybe literally personally, like in your family or maybe through your extended family or, um, or relatives or close friends of yours. I'm gonna guess, I'm gonna guess when we, when we bring up this topic of adultery that you know someone close to you that has been affected by this. Either, either somebody was unfaithful towards them or they were the one who was unfaithful. And, and for a number of us, it's very personal. And it's, it, it's, it's, it's like in, like, okay, you, you experience the fallout from this. Um, I've, I've shared this before. I, my parents are divorced and, and have, and so like broken, like broken marriage and, and relationship, like I get, and this is not, like this topic is not in a vacuum where we just say, oh, this is just a, a theological conversation that we're gonna have, but it doesn't really affect anyone. No, no, no. This, this topic specifically has probably ended more, marriage, more marriages than maybe any other topic. So this is very personal. Okay, that's number one. Now, number two, here's the point of 
of today. The topic is not the topic. The topic of adultery is adultery, sure. But that's not the issue. The issue of adultery is not the act itself. Like, why is adultery wrong? It's, here's why, ready? Because adultery is about trust. That's why. It speaks to an issue deeper than what it is. Adultery is about trust. And the choices we make either builds trust or breaks trust. Why is adultery so bad? Because it is breaking trust with, with presumably the closest person to you. So let's talk about what it, what it is before we get into like the, the whole topic of adultery. We gotta, we gotta at least have some, we gotta at least have some sense and understanding of what marriage is. We gotta define at least biblically marriage. What is marriage? These days, it seems like marriage can be whatever you want it to be with whoever you want it to be, with as many people as you want it to be. We have TV shows, right, about like, hey, I, plural, plural wives. And boy, just if, if you think that's a good idea, just watch one episode <laughs> and see if that's something that you want to try. <laughs> like, so what is marriage? Biblically, what is marriage? Not what is on TV, but what is marriage? Now, and, and specifically, what is it for? This is where I think the first, like, you're gonna, I hope, I hope you have the first kind of, oh, that's different, light bulb moment. And we've talked about this before. In fact, anytime we bring up marriage, this is like my go-to thing. This is one of the things we talk about. And that is this, marriage is to make you holy, not happy. This is different than what you think. You think, listen, and, and I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I, let me apologize and, uh, because someone did a, a bait and switch on you. When you got married, you thought it was to be happy. You did. You thought that this person, their job was to make you the happiest person on earth. It might have even been in your vows. Wow, I'm just the happiest person on earth to marry you. And, and you're, I hope, going to be the happiest person on earth, at least today. <laughs> I'll make you happy today. And, and, and you think that your marriage and the person you're married to, or if you're not married, maybe you're thinking of future, like the future person that you're going to marry is going to make you the happiest person on earth. And that's the goal of marriage is to be happy. And, and you're sold this and we, we have movies about this and it feels like, like every Disney movie is they get married and they live happily ever after and it's like it's wonderful and TV shows and, and, um, and movies are all about like getting married and, and like that like I've, I've <clears throat> I'll admit I'm man enough to admit I've seen a few rom-coms in my life okay in my time I, I've, I've seen a few right uh not the top of my list of what I can, you know, sit down and watch tonight, but my wife loves them. And so we've watched some and she, like anytime, which is not super often that we sit down and be like, hey, let's watch a rom-com, a romantic comedy. If you don't know the language for those of us who get them, we know. <laughs> and, and I, and, and we would sit down and, and she's like so excited and like, oh man, I've been wanting to see this. And I'm like, I bet you I could tell you the movie before it starts. <laughs> She's like, oh, what? I'm like, I'm going to guess. A boy meets a girl. Well, okay. A boy meets a girl. 
And either they're not supposed to get together or they don't like each other or they do, but then there's some issue and, and, and usually he's an idiot and does something wrong and then, he, and then she like, is like, no, it's not gonna work and then talks with the girlfriends and you don't deserve her, him and all. And, and, and then something happens where he kind of works his way back in, makes it right and then, they have, and, then, and then they get married or in relationship and then it's like, oh, it's great. She's like, Aren't you so excited to see that? I'm like, no, I've seen that so many times, so many times. And, and so here's the thing, ready? We're trained to think marriage is the thing that's gonna make you happy and it's gonna make you fulfilled. Can I burst your bubble? You, you and maybe some of you think that, even right now. And what happens is you get married and then you realize it was all fake. <laughs> you, well, here's what happens. You get married and it's not happily ever after. It's actually hard. It takes work. And, and they know, like the, 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 all those Disney movies, they don't show what happens when they get in a, a disagreement and there's conflict. They don't show when kids show up or work schedules. They don't understand what it's like trying to make, trying to manage the schedule. And then this person that you like, happily ever after becomes just like, it's just, hey, we're just trying to make this whole thing work. And 10 years in, 15 years in, 20 years in, here's what happens, ready? People think, well, I got in this to be happy. I'm no longer happy. So I'm gonna find someone else who does make me happy. Because in your mind, marriage is about happiness and it's not and so you can have marriages that are decades old end because I'm just not happy. If you know people who have gotten divorced, you probably heard that literally that sentence. I'm just not happy. Hey, that's a problem. But don't think finding the next person is going to fix that. It's just a matter of time before they don't make you happy. The goal of marriage then, let's talk about this, is not... Your happiness. I know you got married on that day and you're like, I'm so happy and wonderful, but that isn't it. I, I remember some of the best advice I got was from a, a pastor, an old pastor of mine. And he, he would say this, and I'm like, what? That doesn't make any sense. He would say, marriage is a wonderful blessing, but a lousy goal. That if your only goal in life is to get married, you will be let down, right? Just ask anyone who's married if that was the thing that like fixed their life, right? Just don't ask my wife, but, but for the rest of you. And, and there's this thought, there's this thought that once I get married, then I'll be happy. Then we'll be fixed. Then my life will be what I want it to be. Marriage is not to make you happy. There are times, listen, it is great. Marriage is one, a wonderful blessing and you will be happy. But don't think that as soon as happiness goes, that means marriage is over because the point of marriage isn't personal fulfillment. That's very selfish. I'm married to you as long as you make me happy. You perform and meet my needs and we're good. As soon as you stop, I will find someone else to do that. Marriage is not, the goal of marriage is not only to make you happy. It really is to make you holy. So let's look at what, what God says specifically about marriage, how it started biblically, and then some like what we see in the rest of scripture. So marriage shows up in Genesis chapter two. 
Genesis chapter two, this is pre-fall, pre-sin. This is like not a result of a sinful act. This is, the, the, this is how God designed it. In Genesis chapter two, verse 23, it says this. The man said, this, the man is Adam, by the way. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And we're told this, and they become one flesh. That one person joins one person and they become one person somehow. Still two people, but one flesh, one marriage relationship, one bond that is meant to be for life. So the, 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 the biblical standard of marriage is one man, one wife for life. That's the goal. That's the standard. That's, the, that's the, 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 the purpose and expectation of marriage. Now, that is not always the ideal. We live in a fallen world. We live in a, like, people make decisions and bad things happen and things change. I get it. And, and I, listen, I understand that's not always the case. But the goal of marriage is that. One man, one wife, for life. All right. That's how God set it up. That's the foundation a covenant relationship where two individuals become one flesh. And do you know how you, how, you, how you then split up two people who become one flesh? Do you know how to do that? Very painfully. Very painfully. Two people who have decided to become one flesh, a, a, a man and a wife now are married and then decide to split up. There is no consequence-free divorce. There is no easy, not messy, really simple divorce. It's two people who became one flesh now trying to hit the undo button, trying to undo one flesh. And it is painful. Marriage is not merely here for our happiness. It's here to what, what in theology we call sanctify us, to make us more holy. It is the ultimate iron sharpening iron. Sometimes even when you don't want it, the iron sharpening iron. And when you go into marriage remembering and thinking that, the goal is not my personal happiness. The goal is that God is gonna use this person to help make me a better person. All right. That's a different perspective than, well, you just need to make me happy. No, the goal is not happiness. It really is holiness. Now, marriage also is not the issue. It's, it's, it represents something else. I don't know if you know this. But Paul talks about marriage and he, he gives it, he gives it a, a totally different direction, a totally different insight. He quotes Genesis chapter two, but he relates it to something totally different. Here's what he says in Ephesians chapter five. For this reason, he quotes now this very passage. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Great, Paul, give us some insight. And then he says, this is a profound mystery. No, it's not. It's marriage. No, that's not what I'm talking about. This is a profound mystery. But I'm not talking about husband and wife. He says this, but I am talking about Christ and the church. That marriage, he says, is actually a living illustration meant to point people to the, like the visible representation of Christ and, his, and the love he has for his church. He says it's this profound mystery that, that marriage is actually a signpost, a future of like, this is what the church, like Jesus and the church, what their relationship is gonna be, like it's gonna be that close. And then he says, however, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. 
So he says, all right, here's what this relationship should look like. It should look like mutual love, mutual respect, but also you are representing Christ and the church. Do you know what Jesus did for the church? Paul tells us he gave himself up for the church, died for the church. We see that, that, like, that the church is often, is often throughout scripture called the bride and Jesus the bridegroom, that there really is this language of marriage between Jesus and the church. And that, that like part of the job of, like, of like us is to, is to make sure that we present the, the, the church as a pure and spotless, do you know the language? Bride. That we, like the church, will be married to Jesus in a relationship that will be forever and that real marriage, like actual marriage here on earth, is meant to be a signpost of that very covenant and commitment. Oh, you see why marriage is not about you? I know you thought it was when you got married, and it was all about your personal happiness, but it's so much more than that. We see this principle of uh, the union between a husband and wife reflecting the union of Jesus and the church. Marriage was meant to deepen our relationship with God. And then we see this in Hebrews. Now he's gonna mention specifically about like maintaining the purity of the marriage, of your marriage. Now we're gonna get into kind of the realm of now this topic of adultery. And, and in Hebrews chapter 13, it says this, marriage should be honored by all. Everyone, whether you are married or aren't married and every marriage should be honored by all. And he says, the marriage bed kept Pure. Now we're talking specifically about like each like individual marriage and, and their, like the marriage bed should be pure and, and like the adultery should have no place in this. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral, he says. All right. So in culture today, we're told, do what, want, do what makes you happy as long as it doesn't affect anyone else who cares, right? Who cares what someone else does with their life? And, and, and there are a couple things. First, there's some truth to that. What this person way over here does in their life doesn't affect my lifestyle or my, like how we run, like run as a family. That's true. It doesn't affect that. But it does degrade the actual institution, the covenant of marriage. That, that just because it like doesn't your, like what you do doesn't affect me doesn't mean that we have to like redefine or reintroduce marriage or like make it whatever we want it to be. You can marry whoever you want, as many as you want, whenever you want, whatever you want and, and treat it however you want. What we're told is that the actual like beginning of marriage is, is, like, is, a, is a very specific like union and relationship and we're told that marriage should be honored by all. Marriage bed kept pure. That you and I, just because, you know, we're thousands of years later, don't get to like re-decide what we think or want marriage to be out of whether it be convenience or it's just, it's just really hard. Now, now let's talk about this topic of, of what, like what keep, of like what not keeping the marriage bed pure looks like. This, this topic of adultery, of when, when trust is broken, what what does adultery include? So biblically, again, one of the things that I will share with you guys every week is, and I apologize if this upsets you or offends you. Actually, I don't apologize. People are say that, but they don't ever mean it. Hey, I'm sorry that, no, you're not, and I'm not sorry. 
I don't care what you think it means or it says. I don't care what your opinions are. I mean, I, I do in the sense that I want to get to know you. But your opinions don't, don't tell me what truth is. I want to know what this says. I, people's perspective over a topic or an area of some kind, especially political ones, hey, that's great. We can have interaction. But don't think that just because you believe it, I have to. <laughs> that's crazy. What I want to know is what this says. So what is adultery and what does it do and what are the consequences according to God himself? Here's what adultery includes. In Exodus, the, word, the actual word for adultery is na'ap. And it refers to sexual activity with someone other than a spouse, right? It's the very specific, like, okay, thanks. We, we, we know what that is. Great. And, and so in, the, in Exodus 20, 14, you shall not commit adultery is lo na'ap. Don't adultery, adulterize. Don't do that thing. Okay, it's the, it's the actual act of unfaithfulness. All right, but then we see in scripture that included in this topic is so much more than just that. If that were it, then we would just say like, hey, as long as I haven't done that thing, then like, I'm okay, right? Yeah, I haven't committed actual adultery, not op. So I'm fine, okay, except that there's more verses in the Bible than just that one. <laughs> so what else do we see forbidden or seen as, as, uh, as immoral and, and sinful? Well, we have another word, and this word you will recognize right away without me having to define it. The Greek word, you will recognize right away. The Greek word is pornea. Pornea is translated sexual immorality, and it means so many more other things that were also forbidden from not just na'a, but also pornea, right? You hear that word, and you're going like, oh, that sounds very familiar. Yes, that's where we get the word from. We see that Jesus used, like in, in Mark chapter 7, this actual language is used, and this Greek word is used. Jesus says this, verse 21 in, in chapter 7, for it, is writ, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. And then the first thing he lists, he says, sexual immorality, pornea, and theft, also one of the Ten Commandments, and murder, also one of the Ten Commandments, and adultery, also one of the Ten Commandments. He like lists out all of the big ones, and he starts with pornea. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Adultery is explicitly forbidden in the seventh commandment, but it's not limited to the physical act alone. Jesus actually broadens this, and we'll see him do it again here shortly. He actually broadens this to any kind of, you know, of sexual immorality of, of like in any, like any instance that Jesus extends this to impure thoughts and desires and intentions. And here's what he's doing. He's forbidding any kind of deviation from the created order of one husband, one wife, four life. Anything outside of that, he says, this is sin. And it comes from within. And he says, it's, it comes out of a person that defiles them. It's not what goes in. It's not what they eat or what they, it's, it's that it's there and that we commit these acts because of our desire, our selfish desire to get what we want, to have our needs met, whatever that may be, our desire to what the Bible calls to sin. So 
Let's look at what adultery does. So adultery includes so much more than just the act. And we'll, we'll see here, like we'll kind of work our way backwards to like its origin here. But what is, so what does adultery do? Why is this so bad? Again, biblically, what, what, what's the big deal? And why is this so devastating? Here it is. There's three things. And, and adultery happens to be one of the themes written about countless times in scripture, especially in Proverbs. It, it, I mean, almost to the point where you're reading Proverbs and it's like, you know, make sure you watch what, what you say and treat people how you know, like they should be treated. And also watch out for the adulteress. And you're going like, where did that come from? Well, Solomon wrote it. He had like some experience. He, had a, he knew a thing or two about like relationships. And he's like, watch out, watch out, watch out. And it just shows up over and over. Hey, look out, look out, look out. So what does adultery do? First thing, adultery ruins your reputation. You know this to be true, but this is, a, this is actually like biblical wisdom. Again, well, what do you know? Proverbs speaks about this thing. Proverbs chapter six, it says this. He who commits adultery lacks sense. That they, they're actually like this person is not wise. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor and his disgrace, look at this, will not be wiped away. That the disgrace that follows you will actually stay with you. And, and, and we know this to be true. You know people who, like, have, who have fallen in this area and there really is a reputation. This is, this is, one, of the, this is one of the areas where, uh, where, where there's zero tolerance, especially within the church and in ministry. That if a pastor falls in this area, they're done. This is a one strike and you're out policy. And that person, that pastor, and we see this every year where especially well-known pastors fall in this area and, and they have now, there is a reputation that follows them. This is different than just simply, oh, I misspoke. I told a lie once. Oh, I, I, I got a little angry and I shouted maybe more than I should have. Or I, it, this is different than that. That this, this adultery, it ruins your reputation. It is, the shame associated with it is difficult to erase. God warns us of severe consequences and the high price of this sin. Not only does it ruin your reputation, but it also ruins your relationship with God. That adultery actually gets in the way of your relationship with God himself. That it has an effect on your relationship. Where does that show up? In Malachi chapter two, Malachi, the Old Testament, he's a prophet. And he's gonna mention this very thing. It seems so out of place, but like this is clearly on God's mind and on his heart. It says this in Malachi two, verse 13, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. That, that you, that you are in tears. God, why aren't you accepting my worship? Why aren't you listening? It's feel like you're not even there. And then here's the response. You ask why? You ask why? Why, God? Why? And here it is. Here's the reason. It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. And here's what you've done. Ready? You have been unfaithful to her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. God tells specifically Malachi and people are going to the altar and like, why won't, God, why won't you hear us? Why won't you accept our worship? And he says, you know why? You know why? Because you are unfaithful to your wife. 
You had a covenant with her and you broke her trust and that affects us. That affects you and me. Oh, this is different than just your run-of-the-mill sin, whatever that may be. This clearly has more weight to it. Even in God's eyes, this has more weight to it. Not only does this directly impact your relationship with God, but adultery ruins yourself. It ruins your reputation. It ruins your relationship with God. It obviously ruins the relationship you have with the person, but it also ruins you. Here's what we see in 1 Corinthians. Paul writes this, flee from pornea, sexual immorality. And then he says this, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. That this one is different. This one is against yourself. As much as it's about someone else, it really is a sin against you and your own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Don't you know the God himself lives in you and you're treating your body like this? You're sinning against yourself and against him like this? You are not your own, he goes on. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Specifically, in this area, honor God with your bodies because, listen, okay, this is, again, when you decided to become a Christian, you didn't know it came with all of this. Here's what it comes with, ready? Your body is not yours. You were purchased. Jesus bought you with his blood. And it's the, the greatest like, purchase you could ever hope to be like, bought. That he now, he now like, forgives you of your sin and says, all right, I am yours and you are mine. And the Holy Spirit's gonna come and dwell inside of you. Awesome. Now here's the deal. That comes with great, a great responsibility. Here's what, that, here's what you get to do, ready? You get to live like that. Now, you get to live like God is actually in you. And that your job now is to honor him with how you live, okay? So you don't get to do whatever you want, consequence-free. Don't you know? Don't you know you've been bought at a price? Therefore, he says, honor God with your bodies. And, and, and this is the area. He says, flee, flee all kinds of, not just adultery, not just like specifically the act, as though that were, it. like as long as I don't do that thing, he says, any kind of sexual immorality of, of, like, of any flavor, flee from that. Anything outside of one husband, one wife, four life, anything outside of that, flee from that. So where does adultery start? Okay, we're working our way backwards. Where does it start? Because it, I would argue this, it doesn't start when it happens. That's actually the end of a very long road. And then the act happens that you commit adultery, whether it be a relationship or a one night thing or whatever it may be, but that's not where it starts. It didn't start then. Adultery, we're going to hear from Jesus again, is a matter of the heart. In Matthew chapter 5, the greatest sermon, Sermon on the Mount, it begins, it begins with Jesus talking about this thing. He could talk about anything he wants, right? And he goes topic after topic. And, and adultery makes the list of the things he wants us to know. He says this, you've heard it was said, and then he, and he uh, literally, he quotes this commandment. You've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Great, that's a great standard. But I'm actually going to raise the bar here. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
He goes on and says, no, 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 listen, I understand, like, don't commit adultery. You got, yeah, okay, you all get that. All right, great. Now, ready? Anyone who looks with lust on someone, they've actually done it in their heart. That the standard isn't, well, just don't do the, the thing. The standard is, no, 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 you, you have to understand it starts in your heart. Jesus he dives into the, literally the heart of the matter and explaining that adultery begins with impure thoughts and desires. It's more than just the external act. And, it, and he emphasizes the importance of making sure that we guard ourselves against this. I, I remember um, some early advice I got when I was engaged, about to get married and uh, you know, talking with other pastors and guys that are older than me who've been in ministry and mentors of mine. And I remember one guy uh, in particular, my old, uh, an old pastor of mine, like a, the old lead pastor of mine, and I was, you know, on staff, and he was both my boss, but also like the guy I looked up to and admired. Um, and I, and I remember, you know, we're getting married, and he's going to be a part of the ceremony and stuff. I'm like, great, wonderful. And um, and one of the things he says is this: He's like, all right, Brandon. Here's what here's what uh, uh, my experience. The guys who think they are immune to this often fall to this. So I himself, and I had another pastor, a mentor of mine, also say a similar thing. I have to acknowledge in me that I am susceptible to this thing. And so I have to intentionally guard and protect myself against this temptation, against doing this. And I'm sitting here going, dude, I'm about to get married. Like what? That's not even like, what? What do you mean? Like, you're thinking about like protecting yourself because you just don't trust yourself. And he's like, it's not about not, not trusting myself. And this is what he said. He goes, I have seen so many people who say that'll never happen to me. And then it happens to them. And he goes, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy who says never in a million years would that ever happen in my relationship, in my marriage. And, and, I, and what do you know? It happened. This is, this is one of those things where, where if you aren't protecting and guarding yourself, you're leaving yourself wide open because, let's also be honest, we live in a culture where this is rampant. Like this isn't like, a, like a, uh, something that never comes up. Like the sexualization of like, of like culture and like especially our country, oh, that's not really a thing until you turn on literally any commercial. This, how, this is about toothpaste. Why is she on it? <laughs> like uh, any, anything. And, and so to say like, well, this isn't a thing. Let's not talk about it. I can promise you of all the topics we talk about, this is the one that probably makes us the most uncomfortable because we know, we know we are susceptible to this and we don't have a perfect track record. And like, okay, all right. One of the things too that, that this, this, let me just dispel a, um, what can often be seen as a rumor or at least a misunderstanding. So many times this is seen as, okay, I'm gonna be honest, here we go. So many times this is seen as, as a, um, um, a guy issue. This is a male issue. Guys are the, and let's be honest, guys are dogs, so this, isn't a, this is a guy issue. <laughs> and I remember a time in my, in my ministry experience, this is a number of years ago, I was a youth pastor and I knew a bunch of other guys, and I remember in a, in a span of six months, four guys who all had their wives leave them for another guy. And they're like, I want to do whatever I can to fix this. Like, I'm, I'm in, we'll do counseling, whatever it takes. And it was one after another, boom, boom, boom. And every time it was the same story, the wife, and it was about, guess what? She wasn't happy. And I'm, 
All right, okay. I mean, I, I could almost, before you even share your story, I bet I can predict it because it was just over. And this is not a guy issue. This is a human issue. This is a human struggle. So how do all of us make sure that we like, guard ourselves against this? Because listen, even though you don't want to hear this and don't think it's true, you are susceptible to this too. You are. So how are you going to make sure that you guard yourself? What can we do about this? How can we build and not break trust? So I'm going to share five things that I think that like, all right, these are things that we can do to make sure we guard ourselves against specifically like, like moving into this direction, even like at all, even whatsoever, going down a road that we don't want to go down. The first is regular self-examination where you regularly, not once, but you regularly examine your thoughts and your desires, especially in your marriage and make sure, all right, Lord, I'm bringing all of this to you. And if I have anything that's, that's wrong or sinful or impure, I bring it to you and I want, I want to know, like I want to have it take an honest self-examination. On a scale of one to 10, how good am I doing in this area? And you're not, this isn't for you to tell anyone. Don't write it down on your notes. Don't like, hold fingers up and show me. I don't, this is not for me. This is for you to say, all right, in this area, how pure am I even in my thought life? Really, how, how am I doing? All right, I, I, regular self-examination. Number two, to do what the Bible calls renewing your mind. That, 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 that this, is, this, this requires so much more than just simply like, okay, I won't do it. No, no, no. It really does involve us like immersing ourselves in God's word and engaging in like prayer practices that can help transform our mind. Because, I, I, okay, I know this to be true also. There's not a person in here who is thinking, you know what? Adultery is not that bad. It's fine, actually. I would guess that if we poll everyone, every one of us would say, I know it's wrong, and, it's, and here's the reasons why. You don't have to convince me. Now I'm really convinced, but you really don't have to convince me that it's wrong. And, and, and here's the thing. You guys know this. Like, everyone in here knows this. You know this. And, and listen, ready? Some of you will still do it. You'll still do it. You know it's wrong. You know you shouldn't. You know the consequences, you know the effects, but for whatever reason, it hasn't transformed your heart and you still are like, yeah, but it makes me happy. For now, at least. And you'll still do it. And, and you don't, you really don't understand the consequences. I can tell you, uh, as, uh, as a uh, child of, uh, of divorced parents and, and, you know, every marriage is different, but, you know, not every marriage lasts. And, um, it, like, it, I shared this last service, so I'll, I, I'll share it here. The splitting of two becoming one flesh is far more detrimental to your kids than you think. And certainly more than you hope that it really does affect them even if they don't say it. You know how I know? Because I don't say it to my parents. Though I guess I am right now. <laughs> that it has an effect on you. I remember when, I, when we first got married, my wife and I, happily married, everything's good. But, you know, one time, one time we had a conflict, one time. <laughs> got an argument, it was pretty early on. 
And my response, you know my response? Hers is like, hey, we need to talk this out. I'm like, okay, that sounds terrible. My response is conflict leads to divorce. So I just want to avoid it. Because that's my perspective. As a kid who saw it and was like, oh man, when parents fight, they get divorced. So I don't ever want to fight. If, if you are um, thinking about divorce or like one day, someday in the future, and you think, you think it's going to be fine and hey, the kids are going to understand, I promise you, listen, I promise you, they won't. <laughs> and it will affect them. It will. You can't stop it. It will affect them. So this is that big of a deal. So here's what you do. Ready? You got you, more than just simply, ah, I shouldn't do this. No, it requires a renewing of your mind. Number three, seek accountability. And this is key. This is key. Your accountability partner is not your spouse, okay? Listen, I, I, so many times I've, I've seen this happen where like they share something really personal and, and it creates an issue. Like you need someone outside and it has to be, listen, this is the rule, has to be the same gender, has to be. You're not gonna go, like if you're a guy, you're not gonna go seek an accountability that's a female, like that is a no-no. And if that's you, I will come to your house and I, I will end it. I will send a text that will definitely end things with this person. This person, this, it needs to be the same gender. It doesn't have to be in the same town. I have guys that I can call and text at any time and they live in other states. But you need someone that is gonna ask you hard questions that you can, that you can be honest with and give them permission to say, you, you one of the few people in my life that you can speak honestly and directly and you and I will weather this storm and I, I want to hear it. You're, you're one of, I'm choosing your iron to sharpen my iron. So you're one of the guys or you're one of the gals. I can't say this with everyone, but you specifically, all right, you need to find and have someone in your life that can help you do that. Number four, avoid triggers. You know what these are. The things that start you on a path that you don't wanna go down whether it be a specific environment, a specific person that you're around, that every time you're around them, that like there's flirting and you're like, oh, okay. And, and, and like in the beginning, it's like, no, 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 you, no, no, no. And then over time, it's just a little, you know, a little less resistance, a little less resistance. And then all of a sudden, it's a relationship. You know the triggers, a website, a, a, a media, a, a movie, a TV show, whatever it is that you know, like, oh, if I watch this thing or if I go to this place or if I'm around this, that, that will start this kind of, this, this domino effect, so to speak. So whatever your triggers are, avoid triggers. And, and number five, foster gratitude. One of the ways you can combat any amount of, of sort of like pulling you outside of like faithfulness in your marriage um, or, or even like faithfulness in future marriage. Like, the, like if you're not married, you're, you're, the goal right now is to become the kind of person that you wanna be in your marriage and you want the other person to also do, be doing the same. So like, like this is for all of us. It isn't only married people who, have to have, who should have like avoid triggers and seek accountability and foster gratitude to be thankful. Lord, you have put this in my life and and I am grateful. Even right now when we're not talking or we're, it's frustrating, we're in a conflict, like especially in that moment, for you to say, all right, God, it's, it's rough right now, I, I admit, but I'm thankful that you provided a person in my life that isn't afraid to share what they're thinking even though it's gonna cr- cause issues. Even though we might not see eye to eye, we're it, we're in. We're each other's person. To foster gratitude, God, I'm thankful for the life that you have let me live and and the blessings you put in my life. 
Adultery is about trust. And the choices we make either builds trust or breaks it. I'm gonna end with one final verse. And this is a, one of the first verses that I memorized. And, and so like my encouragement is for you to maybe think about the same. Um, it's uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. If you, if, you don't, if, you don't mem- if you memorize scripture, great. Put this on your list. This is your next verse. If you don't memorize scripture, you need to start. You, you really do. And, and start with this one. Here it is. Ready? No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, what we all experience. And God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, here's what he promises, that he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That God won't allow you to be tempted to a point where you're like, I have no choice but to give in. No, no, that doesn't happen. And the temptations you're facing are what is common to all of us. It's not unique to you. So God himself says, I will provide a way out in these moments of temptation. Temptation's coming in this area, especially in this, like in 2023, in this culture, especially now. And do you know what I found is like the way out that he provides for me, it's literally reminding myself of this verse. Just reciting this verse is the thing that will like, all right, no temptation has seized me except what is common to everyone. And God is faithful and he's promised me. He's promised me. Lord, you promised me. And I'm speaking like his words back to him and what he promised me. And in that moment, it's like, oh man, whatever this temptation was, it's like, that, oh, Okay. I feel like, God, like this, this very verse is, might be the very thing that you provided so that I can resist whatever the temptation is. Now, and, and when I say temptation, I'm not talking about just in adultery or like sexual immorality, any temptation. When you're tempted to like share that joke or laugh at that thing or get angry with that person or tell them off or whatever it may be, like any, like, all right, no, no, no temptation has seized me except what is common. All right, even in this moment, God, adultery, is not the issue. Adultery is about trust. So in your marriage, you have a choice. You can do what builds trust or what breaks trust. And eventually trust can be broken to a point where it can't be rebuilt. This is a big deal. So for us, it looks like making sure that, that we are protecting ourselves, recognizing that I am susceptible to this because I'm a human. <laughs> I'm a person. So I want to make sure I guard myself against this very thing. Will you do this? Will you stand with me as we pray? And then we'll worship the Lord together. So Lord, we thank you for your word. And I pray that every one of us would take seriously this command to flee any form of sexual immorality. Will you help us, Lord? Will you help strengthen our faith? Will you help strengthen relationships and marriages? Will you help us to realize that, that the marriage is not about us being happy, but it's about us becoming more holy? So help us to be people who focus on you. And also, Lord, will you forgive us when we fall? that none of us have a perfect track record. And so we pray and ask for your grace when we do fall in this area. You promised Jesus to forgive us because of the cross. 
we can be forgiven in this area. And so, Lord, we also pray that you would strengthen us in our marriages, that we, as a church, as your church, could say to the rest of the world that we, we are the example of what it means for Jesus to love the church, for a husband and wife to commit to each other for life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.